there's a trade-off between ambition and patience. Yes. So uh, <laughs> the, the trade-off for us is we want to grow, we want to get big, we want to have a cafe, we want to do all these things. Mm-hmm. But um, we have to be realistic, right? We have to, to satisfy this like intense desire to do all these really big things in this place, but mm-hmm. also be able to pay our bills. Right. And be able to, to have a big <laughs> job that um, um, we're, we're able to support the growth of this place by not having to be here some days out of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so for everything, and there's so much of the, the stuff here that's pouring overhead, that's you know paying bills every month, that's uh, paying rent, making sure that we have great insurance coverage, yeah, um, doing payroll every week, all that mm-hmm. stuff that's the boring overhead, and there's the fun part back here. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever their curiosity takes you. In today's episode, we are joined by Alex Behrens of Maple Leaf Coffee Roasters. And in this conversation, Alex shares his insights into the world of coffee roasting, from sourcing the beans to the different flavors we are accustomed to. He also expands on the idea of starting his business and just how much thought needs to go into it. And this is not to say that you can't just have an idea and go head first into it. Alex takes a much more measured approach. He is balancing a full-time job while chasing his passion of coffee roasting. But he really expands on, now that he has the business side of it, even though he still loves roasting coffee, he still has to learn all of the other aspects of what it means to now sell coffee to consumers. And I just love this conversation with having this idea of being able to chase your passion, but also make a living at the same time. And it's not to say you have to do one or the other. It is freaking phenomenal for me to be able to highlight local people that for lack of a better word, are feeding their own curiosity and their own passions in their own way. And they're making it work for them. And I hope conversations like this, especially being able to highlight local. So Maple Leaf is located in Roselle, Illinois, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. So if you're in the area, please, please, please go check them out. Ask Alex about coffee and you'll see just how passionate it is about his craft. And it's just a cool conversation to have with people and to highlight their stories. And so with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Alex Barons of Maple Leaf Coffee Roasters. Welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. And today we're actually joined by and doing a podcast on the road, kind of, at Maple Leaf Coffee Roasters. And we're joined with Alex Barons, who owns and operates this. Cool. Yeah. Great to be here. Yeah. I, I really should come by and cool. have a chat. Yeah, so, you know, the story of, like, finding out this place is not too far from my home, which is kind of cool. And then my brother kind of mentioned you guys, and you reached out. So it's kind of cool to have this little local connection kind of brewing with this (laughs) little project. So it's kind of fun. So before we kind of jump into your coffee background, let's, like, back it up and say, what's your other side of it? Like, how did you get into coffee, or what is even before that? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, I don't, uh, Normie and my wife have any specific coffee background, but Mm -hmm. for me, at least, I've been drinking uh, farmer coffee can probably help me for well over half my life at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, the closest thing that I got to actually having a prep for this type of thing was getting an education degree in my undergraduate years, but uh, 
nothing nothing in the food service or okay. you know, sanitation background or anything like that. All that was either self-taught or taking some classes on it. Thing. So Got it. Um, this is really just a passion project that turned into something a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's uh, me and my wife are both engineers, so it's both you know most other engineers know you just kind of want to dig into something and rip it apart, <laughs> learn everything about it, and that's uh, that's kind of how we got here. Wow, that's pretty cool. So it's just kind of following the curiosity of it, basically, and just pretty much yeah. somehow it grew into having our own little storefront from there. Yeah, physical location with all the fun bells and whistles that yeah. go with it, and employees and all the bells and whistles that go with that too. So from there, if we want to back it up, the like early days of this was mm-hmm. it just like homebrew, kind of like in your totally. like in house kitchen. somewhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the kitchen. Um, so we started off. Actually, I started off with some very small equipment mm-hmm. um, that uh, grew bigger and bigger and smelled up the house. Oh, until, uh, okay. Until I realized that uh, this was the right, the right time, the right place to, to go professional. So mm-hmm. um, we actually started off with a little tiny um, air roaster that didn't do anything more than I think three ounces of coffee at the time. Okay. Before, if I recall. And that would take about six to ten minutes, depending on what you're doing, to actually crank out a very small amount of coffee. Mm-hmm. Really. It was really about three ounces, which is maybe enough to make one or two pots of coffee. If that. Wow. And um, the fun part about that was that it gave you a chance to really experiment with small small bits and do some trial and error. From mm-hmm. there. Never really got too much money as we were doing anyway. Um, so it was really great. I started, and then we got a couple of larger roasters, eventually ending in a larger drum roaster that we do at most uh, a pound of coffee, but the realistic amount was about eight ounces. Um, and had a lot more control, a lot more uh, variables that you could play with on it to uh, kind of get some, some different output. But it was still a lot of trial and error, um, still a lot of just you know getting some different copies, mm-hmm. doing some research, reading stuff online, watching a lot of videos, and really seeing what could you do with this wow. coffee. Um, and it wasn't until we got in here that we really started to vary some of the experimentation that we did um, to kind of see what uh, different types of uh, origins we could play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first place that I really tried blending. Uh, oh, so wow. I really blended coffees at home. I just did straight, single origin. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't, didn't really venture outside of that, that realm too much. Um, so this kind of gave us the opportunity and the requirement need to uh, try different things. Um, so we did a lot of home. Uh, I did a lot of home. <laughs> in here, um, it gave, gave us a lot more reason to mm-hmm. experiment and try things off of the path that we did. Sweet. So the so the initial phase of it, it sounds like you were just a lot of really small volume, just kind of tinkering. Very small volume. Kind of, yeah. kind of like, very much that like you know tinkerers like garage type setup sounding, but for, yes. for the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and you're kind of just you know doing finding something and just kind of playing around with it, right? So you're yeah. so you're getting the raw beans basically yourself grinding them up or roasting them first, then grinding them up yeah. from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, I mean, when we sell the people who come in here, um, everything that we sell is uh, all being unless they ask for it to be ground. Got it. Um, but okay. You, what, yeah, right. What we do um, is we take the, the raw product and turn it into something, uh, something that you're ready to, ready to turn it into um, But that, I mean, just, just going from the raw product to the um, roasted varieties, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of thought, a lot mm-hmm. of research. Um, and you really kind of, you don't really fall into the stuff backwards. <laughs> you kind of got to sit down and, and try to think of what you're trying to get. Really? What do you want to get out of this? Um, you know, and then how, how much are you going to experiment? Because, uh, especially when you're doing this, um, 
for real, you, you have to accept that there's always going to be a certain amount of money that you're going to be effectively throwing in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to kind of minimize the amount of time. So you, you have to you spend, when you're doing this for, for money, you have to accept a certain amount of loss, but you also right. have to be willing not to um, experiment too much mm-hmm. because you eventually need to start making some money out of Yeah. So that's interesting. I think from here, it might be worth kind of painting the picture of like, not, you know, divulging any secrets about coffee roasting, but kind of just painting the, a deeper understanding about it. Cause I think most people kind of their view of coffee is kind of Starbucks for the most part, but no one really thinks about where, like how the actual roasting process gives different flavors or anything like that. Even I don't really even know that, but it's kind of, seems like the next logical thing to kind of dive into. Of course. So, um, I mean, the, the thing you're kind of trying to get to is, well, how do you, um, you know, how do you make something good? Yes, yeah, basically. <laughs> and uh, as as you do with with anything else that, that you make that people eat, the, the best way to start is to start with good ingredients, good raw product. So it doesn't matter how how professional of a setup you have, how sophisticated the equipment machinery that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're starting with with uh, a coffee that's not good to begin with. Never going to be able to say infer quality on the output by just doing a really great roast. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the cornerstone of any good coffee roast, or even big ones, um, have to be able to produce a quality product is to start with quality, quality uh, uh, raw product. Raw yeah, product. and that that means um, that you want to find something that not only fits your, your desire and tastes, but is also um, that you know about where it's coming from. You know mm-hmm. about the product. You even for small places, there's only a certain amount of um, distance you can go to actually knowing the product because I can't mm. fly to the farm in <laughs> Central America or Africa or Indonesia or any right. part of Asia Pacific and verify these things. But you have to work with somebody that you trust. You have to find a, a good place that um, has good reviews, that sources from quality places and results. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, you just have to kind of know some of the industry. You know, you have to know about kind of stuff you're buying, if it's a wash process or a natural process or a food mm-hmm. process. And you have to know um, what time of year you're in because coffee's, coffee's a, um, it's a crop that is only available certain months of the year mm-hmm. because you get it. And then um, you just have to know beyond that how you're roasting. So really the best best way to start is to know where you're buying from. Okay. And um, sometimes uh, even going a little bit further and doing some research is to coffees from this region or this oh, wow. okay. co op or generally, you know, given this kind of, uh, of uh, rating things like that. So um, every coffee generally comes with a cupping score. Okay. They, they call it. It's basically a number between zero and hundred that gives you know, certain um, certain other quality. And uh, you really want to kind of get a good understanding of what you're starting out with. Um, and then generally for most roasters you order a very small amount. Something to do some sampling with and to just get a sense of um, kind of what you're going to be for. Okay. Um, but really, it's, you have to start with something good. You can't roast quality into it. It's, it sounds super similar to a lot of the things I hear from almost any, you know, genre. It's you got the raw ingredients that you use are everything. Like yeah. if you start with poor form and working out or if you're not eating the right foods in general, you're just not going to, you know, the building blocks of your body are the qual- like the quality of what you put in, right? Absolutely. So it's... it's it's not, it's like a common theme that I've noticed on all of these different trends. It's like you yeah. can't start with something, you can't make something good if you start with crap. No, it yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, that's a universal statement. Yeah. Of so the the way that a lot of the 
um, a lot of the bigger places kind of deal with um, less less quality raw product mm-hmm. because roasting the coffee darker, oh, which okay. isn't a bad thing. Um, so any of your big isn't that what they say about like Starbucks? Not yeah. to like the burn taste, right? Those yeah, people the complaint that people generally have is that they don't like the the burn flavor or something of that nature, and that's that's just a byproduct of of uh, what we generally speaking Americans kind of expect is consistency. Got it. Okay. So the way that you you produce a consistent flavor twelve months out two twelve months out of the year is that you try to to roast the coffee darker because the um, the raw ingredients in any coffee are going to be different mm-hmm. twelve months out of the year, and we we do the same thing with our blends mm-hmm. because we have to. So some of our blends use coffees from um, you know a couple of Latin American countries, mm-hmm. and uh, because the uh, crops can't grow twelve months out of the year. There are certain times in the year that we have to choose uh, choose coffees from the same country, but from different parts of the country. Yeah, and uh, effectively, what we try to do, especially with the with the lighter roasted coffees, is try to find something that has a very very similar flavor. Mm. But if we have some of our darker roasted coffees, you can sort of mask the the raw flavors mm. by roasting it super dark. And Got it. Um, the reason that that kind of works is that the, the very simple equation that you get out is. The lighter roasted coffee, the more you taste where the coffee was grown. Mm-hmm. The darker you roast the coffee, the more you taste how it was roasted. Got so it. That's why we as Americans are more used to drinking darker roasted coffees, is because uh, the big places like your Starbucks, your Dunkin' Donuts, your McDonald's, all of their customers and indeed a lot of us as, as uh, consumers expect that when I go get a cheeseburger from the McDonald's here in Brazil or a cheeseburger from uh, the airport, um, you know, McDonald's. That yeah, you getting the same product no matter where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, and certainly speaking, it's it's not realistic to expect that you're always going to get the same product. But you're yeah. going to get something very similar, unless you're a very refined palate. You probably never use it. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because it's like the, these companies are massive scale, right? Yeah, They're looking at serving the world as their customer versus serving, yeah. you know, a like a tiny, tiny, tiny subsection of that of sure. just kind of. You know, whatever, say a thousand people are your customer base, right? Yeah. You can kind yeah. of play around in a wider spectrum of flavors or uniqueness, right? Or craft, basically, is the, what we're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think of it that way because I wouldn't have. It makes sense that burning it, like you know, roasting it darker, would make make it homogenized. Basically, it's what yeah the, the idea, which is not a bad thing, right? I mean, right. It's a stylistic choice, right? Yeah, it's a choice, and that's um, we're we're starting to become more. Uh, more enamored, more in love with going to smaller craft breweries, mm-hmm. things that have uh, different choices, different options. Yeah, which is totally okay. It's it's absolutely the way that um, some tastes kind of go. But I mean, I'll, I'll I'll confess too, right? There's there's a lot of times where I just like to get a you know a Milky Way or a Three Musketeers or something that I just right. I don't really care. I just want to shove something you know, <laughs> sweet or something. Like, yeah, face, and, and that's totally fine. But, but then you also want to go every now and again to the to the greasy spoon diner kind of place, mm-hmm. the stuff that's that's not doing mass market mass mm-hmm. uh, kind of things. And it's the same thing with us. The great thing about coffee and the great thing about this Starbucks is that even though they are big, is that they have introduced people into um, a better quality coffee. Mm-hmm. Even though a lot of people come in here and they'll, they'll tell me what they drink right now, and they'll say, "Well, I sold something at Starbucks," and I'll say, "Well, as soon as you find something effective." All of these places started off small. They all started off somewhere that, that was doing something very small, something, something like us. It's not like I ever want to get large and mm-hmm. you know forget the craft and, and the quality there. But uh, they've also done um, 
us and place you know artists and coffee roasters in my size a huge favor. Yeah, and introducing people to something of a higher quality to begin with, and also making them more willing to pay a few bucks more for mm-hmm. a cup of coffee. Not to you know to say like Folgers or uh, a collect coffee is bad or anything, but it's just not. It's not something that people are expecting to pay. Yeah, more than more than fifty cents a cup for <laughs> even that. Yeah. Um, whereas if you go to Starbucks or um, uh, any of the, the smaller, like the larger, more artisan or expensive coffee places, mm-hmm. um, people are now willing to accept paying two to three dollars a cup for just black mm-hmm. coffee, not for the lattes, the cappuccinos, or right. frappuccinos, or stuff like that. Um, and that they've done us a favor in that mm-hmm. respect. But it also means that like this market is huge. Everyone drinks coffee. Right. I mean, most of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the, the market for someone like me to find people that are, want to try something a little bit off that path is just, mm-hmm. it's, it's really big. And I'm not saying that they're doing bad things to Starbucks. But yeah. You just kind of want, you know, they're not going to notice a few people kind of start coming here. Right. Um, instead of them. So from there, kind of, you know, this might be a future question, but would you, would it be like in your wheelhouse to kind of turn it into not just coffee, but also making drinks based around your coffees and being yeah. like, here's a way like recipes or, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just a cafe shop or just it's like a hangout spot, I guess would be a good way to, to kind of describe it where yeah. people can have community based something. It's kind of, that's what it sounds like to me, where it's like yeah. basically that craft beer feeling, but you can hang out and drink coffee instead of the beer. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> want to get there. Um, and I mean, this is something that I'm sure uh, a lot of people, uh, yourself included, um, kind of understand intuitively is that if you want to get a certain size, if you want to get big, um, you can really just try to put all of yourself into it and mm-hmm. try to just be reckless about the way that you grow and expand and try mm-hmm. to, to reach that stuff. Or you can try to be a little more conservative mm-hmm. um, try to be a little more measured and calculated with your risks. And that's definitely the trade-off that we uh, have um, felt quite um, quite instinctively all the time here to me and my wife is that there's a trade-off between ambition and patience. Yes. So uh, <laughs> the, the trade-off for us is we want to grow, we want to get big, we want to have a cafe, we want to do all these things. Mm-hmm. But um, we have to be realistic, right? We have to, to satisfy this like intense desire to do all these really big things in this place, but mm-hmm. also be able to pay our bills, right? And be able to, to have a day <laughs> job that um, um, we're we're able to support the growth of this place by not having to be here seven days out of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so for everything, and there's so much of the, the stuff here that's boring overhead that's you know paying bills every month that's uh, paying rent making sure that we have the right insurance coverage yeah um doing payroll every week all that mm-hmm. stuff that's the boring overhead and there's the fun part back here right there's the, part the experimenting where, right where i'm thinking about okay well in a couple of months i'll have access to this coffee so i'll you know, start to, to phase out this one mm-hmm. anticipate bringing this one in, in a few months um there's there's the stuff that I get a couple of customers that come in that are really dire coffee fanatics that come in with their notes and they'll tell me about the <laughs> that they like and those are the people that I love but then I also love the people who just they they tried something so I gave them the coffee and said mm-hmm. oh this is great I didn't know that it tastes like this and yeah um, that's how you introduce people to something deeper than what they're used to getting right now cool um, so there's there's a large part of any running any business and this is a lot of times of what the beer brewers end up doing is. Um, a couple of guys are just doing their bathroom right. or something, and they just find someone with a couple hundred thousand dollars to help them build out of yeah. up space and stuff and, and get into it. I think what you're saying is pretty important because right now it seems like there's a lot of people that, you know, entrepreneurship, broadly speaking, is kind of buzzy. A lot of people kind of are enamored by it, right? Because yeah. we've 
grown up in this world, at least I have grown up in this world of the, the Microsofts and the Amazons and the Steve Jobs and even Elon Musk is wrapped into that yeah. genre yeah. nowadays where people see it and they like, look at, he can be this mega billionaire and ultra successful, but yeah. they don't stop and think about the sacrifices and the amount of effort that they put into creating yeah. these mega corporations. Yeah. And there's a, you know, a really high likelihood for every, you know, Steve Jobs of the world. There's you know, hundreds of thousands or, you know, yeah. people who tried and failed. Yeah. And I think in today's world, I, I don't know, maybe this is just my own instinct tur turning in is it's worth having a thing like a dream or a goal that's outside of your professional world mm -hmm. to keep building out because you kind of don't, I don't know. I just feel like in it's changed like, from our parents or my parents' generation is you could have had a job for 30 years yeah. and had a, you know, a ladder of thing. succession yeah. and get somewhere by the end of that. Sure. And, 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 and you retire. A large family to support and things like that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that, of course. But yeah, I mean, we have, um, uh, we have a lot more opportunity to try to spend time outside doing things. And there's, mm -hmm. there's the, the approachability of a lot of people's hobbies um, is, is, uh, it's become a lot more approachable to have hobbies outside. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're not, you know, toiling on the farm all day. Yeah. Or working in the factory for uh, 40 plus hours a week. Although, you know, if you work in an office, you're kind of always on call. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Slack and stuff like that. But um, still, there's there's just so many more opportunities and, and ways to connect with other people who might be into something similar to are mm -hmm. you know, of that. So uh, no matter what people are doing, it's coffee or beer or baking or um, writing anything out there that they're just burying themselves into it's totally possible to have a side life like a yeah. second job and this other thing that you want to do and to, to dedicate a certain amount of your life to it that you see that, that you think you can support and that was how they started foods mm -hmm. right this is a thing in the kitchen that was in the corner and just got bigger and bigger until it became something that um so it's, it's five days a week from that's yeah that's so five cool. days a week. <laughs> so what was it like for you where you could finally justify and be like, oh, wait, this isn't just something that I can mm -hmm. like do in my kitchen. This is something that I might actually be able to use, like support myself on, like, or at least make something out of it. Like, yeah. This is something like, people pay for. What made it, what made that, what would, what made us want to do it? Yeah. Or, like um, either the inspiration of it or sure. the, well, uh, I mean, for, for what it's worth, I've always wanted to run my own business. Mm -hmm. um, I never, I had a couple ideas in my twenties as to what that business would be, and uh, you know, tried a couple of things that didn't work out. Uh, it was always something with physical product. It was never mm -hmm. a digital thing or anything like that. Gotcha. But I kind of like working with my hands more than I do working on a computer, which is ironic given that um, you know, I spend the day in an office working on a computer. But um, <laughs> it, why you enjoy doing this so much? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little more. I mean, it's just it's my thing, right? It's not yeah. everyone's. Um, you know, some people are really into to doing that kind of thing, and I, I just I, I am because I'm good at it, but I'm just not because I don't want to do it all my life. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the, for us, uh, it it just happened one one summer that we're looking around, and uh, one of our, our friends that runs a little bakery up in northern Wisconsin kind of offhand asked, "Well, when are you gonna, when are you going to do this uh, for real so that I can start buying coffee from you?" And I just kind of you know lit this little light bulb in my head where I was looking around saying, "Okay, well." This summer, you know, maybe I could start looking around at places and just start to, to put some, uh, you know, put some spare time into looking around, doing research to see what it would cost to get a roaster, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of scale could I possibly achieve? And I started making all these spreadsheets and sitting down because mm -hmm. 
just kind of crazy like that. Um, <laughs> and and I just, uh, you know, me and my wife sat down and kind of looked at it and said, okay, well, what do we think this would cost us to do? You know, what are the opportunities? Um, do a little research on what, uh, what kind of competitors we might have mm-hmm. or opportunity we might, might have. And um, just kind of stepped back and looked at it and said, maybe now's the time. Mm-hmm. You know, can we support this with our own time, our own lives? And, um, turned out we could, right? And uh, so we, we, we found a good place to rent um, in the town that we live, uh, not too far from where we live. In fact, so we could maybe one day walk to this place, mm-hmm. do find uh, find a way out of the job, um, and uh, just give it a shot. And I mean, uh, it was hard. I mean, it continues to be hard, right? Like running a business is never easy. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, I, I want to spend all my time doing the fun things. Right. But then there's all this other stuff that's not fun that just it takes. So if I was still doing this in the kitchen, I might not have, I, I probably wouldn't know the extent. Yeah. I'm sure it would probably take me many more years to, to understand the nuances of all the stuff about coffee that I now understand, mm-hmm. technique, and all the stuff that um, never would have been obvious to me if I hadn't had to be, like, push myself a little bit further mm-hmm. to, to do this. But... It's always um, it's, it's been beneficial to to be put in that position where you, you constantly remember that you don't know a whole bunch of things, and um, yeah. there's something you learn almost every month, not only about coffee but about actually the logistics of roasting, packing, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, selling coffee to people and yeah. finding what they want. So uh, we just we found the right place, right time. Um, I was not a good person for six months to to anyone because uh, this this place was pretty barren. It's like a lot of work just to open it, mm-hmm. which um, meant that you know month after month I'd see a few more dollars go out the door and no dollars coming in. Yeah, and uh, just that, all the overhead, and yeah, dragging that, it out. <laughs> that uh, that was a tough thing to stomach for a while. And mm-hmm. in retrospect, it still is. But um, you know, if, if you're not, if you don't have a background in this. If you don't have a background in the food service or restaurants or anything like that, um, you have to pull a lot of favors. Mm-hmm. You know, graphic design, you have to pull a lot of favors. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that you rely on like friends and community and help uh, mm-hmm. from others to, to make this uh, possible. And, and is uh, that for like licensing and all of the permitting and stuff? For like everything. That? It's for so many things. Um, all the work that we had to do to build this place out. Or, I mean, I don't know anything about uh, sanding floors and, and putting this, uh, this uh, coating on it that mm-hmm. uh, my neighbor did. And I don't know anything about uh, plumbing. Uh, you know, doing plumbing for for um, all the stuff we've been mm-hmm. digging concrete. We've had some neighboring guy. Um, all the, the painting we did ourselves, for the electrical work. I, I had a company that um, that we've used before for some other stuff in the house that uh, we made good friends with. Um, <laughs> permitting uh, that was relying on a couple other business owners that we mm-hmm. reached out to uh, to kind of get like, hey, how do we do this? Like, right. Graphics work. We have uh, two friends that do this work for free. Yep. Which means that we live on their timeline, not our own. Yeah. The cost is the price is right. Um, even this, like the furniture and stuff, is a customer that uh, built some of the, the front counter and the shelves and things. And um, even my, my parent, my two, our two dads uh, are both uh, people that sculpt their hands that mm-hmm. just want to help. And kind of doing some of the um, some of the wiring of gas. Uh, yeah. Lines and things like that. Just, you have to have all these people. Right? Yeah. It really was. Was not a one person thing. So sometimes people with entrepreneurs like look at all the stuff they built, but right, unless they you, did, yeah, <laughs> unless you're just some some guy writing a piece of software, it's just it's impossible to do stuff on your own. Yeah, it really is. Unless I mean, you're just insanely rich and insanely time wealthy time. Right. I think I feel like part of it is like people who go and start companies. It's like they find a thing. There's like two ways of doing this, right? Either you yeah. 
something, you know, you get struck by a bolt of lightning and you're like, this is what I want to focus all of my energy on yeah. all the time for the next, you know, until I either I wind up burnt out and broke or somehow it like launches itself. And then there's the other person who's kind of like gets wealthy beforehand and still had all these ideas and yeah. they're able to funnel that wealth because it's disposable income at that point. Uh-huh. And they don't have to worry about, you know, doing the hard thing like, yeah. you know, yeah. eating ramen noodles for a year <laughs> or, you know, pushing doors together to make desks, stuff like that. And that's what I reminded me of when you were talking, explaining all the little nuts and bolts of just getting this small little space open is just the, the amount of knowledge required by other industries mm-hmm. to be able to just roast coffee, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very simple. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of people who buy the, the kind of machine that I have that just do it with drives and mm-hmm. propane tank to it. Something like that. Okay, gotcha. They just do that, but um, you know, if you want to sell things to people, and someone gets sick, and right, and the health department comes knocking on your door and says, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a different story. But um, yeah, it's just, I mean, unless you're like I said, insanely wealthy or, or have a lot of time, you can't do this stuff on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one thing to know to know the, the ins and outs of of what I'm doing and what we're doing here um, to put. Uh, Roasted coffee beans in the bag, mm-hmm. but then it's another like ninety percent of the rest of it's just how do you actually run the business? How do you do this? Nobody says you got to teach us that. You take a million classes, <laughs> you ask other business owners, but there's just there's always a little nuance. There's always like one extra little thing mm-hmm. that you're never just going to know how to do unless you you actually throw in the middle of it. And yeah, you start to refine it all the time. Um, and I I mean, there's countless examples of that kind of thing, and that's you have to love that too. Right. Yeah, or you have to if there's a business partner that wants to to take the that kind of thing, and another person just takes the the mental stuff, the stuff that's about building a great product. Yeah, for me, and my wife, you know, we're, we're the same person. And frankly, it's it's me a lot more than, than her in terms of uh, time. Um, but you you can't unless there's another person doing this with you. The part part of what you know you have to build here is, is the confidence and the knowledge mm-hmm. of how to actually run the business. Yeah, because it doesn't just start and stop it. Putting coffee in the roaster and no. hopping out. <laughs> That's just like step one in a many step process to actually make this a success. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of so many different things of just, you know, it's like the first thing you always hear is like, you don't have a customer until there's someone, you know, buys the product, right? Yep. And so that's like one of the steps. But then it's like for you, it just started at just roasting coffee. And then now it's like you're learning all of the in between steps about that process. Yeah. To figure out how to make it a marketable product, yeah, yeah, with all the many different layers in between that, yeah. Um, and then the other part of it, you're kind of talking about this administrative side that you know people get enamored by the doing of things, but yeah. the organization is kind of the the overtone of it. You kind of you got to do that part right too. Yeah, and you've been talking about it a lot. It seems yeah. like you really kind of hammer on this organization. Like, yeah. is it right? Are we spending too much or not enough? Yeah, or, yeah. like trying to find that sweet spot to keep yourself in in a good zone at the very least yeah 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 for sure i mean like i said you unless you have a partner or partners that you're doing this with um you gotta worry about everything Mm -hmm. and that's not just making product but that's that's the most important part really Mm -hmm. because if you make a poor product and you ask people to give you money for it right nobody's gonna want to do that yeah um so at the end of the day it doesn't matter how much how well all the other administrative overhead type of thing is going if nobody wants to give you money in exchange for what, what you're, you're making, then it's pointless. Right. Um, so it's 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 really you know all of these things have to, to work together. Um, mm-hmm. If they don't, then 
it doesn't matter how, how much, um, how much you try, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, but I mean, trust me, at the end of the day, um, even though it's different using a bigger roaster, commercial roaster to do this, it's still, uh, it's still just as much fun as it was in the kitchen. In fact, it's a lot easier. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the kitchen, it's, you, you have a lot fewer variables to play with. Yeah, I was going to say you probably have more knobs to turn and adjust. Yeah. 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 But it's, um, I mean, it's, it, it's just like I come home smelling like coffee instead of being at home smelling like coffee. So, um, it's, it's just as much fun though. Every, every time I get a new coffee or another one that comes back, I just think you know, a lot, a lot of them I think back to when I first roasted them in the kitchen and, um, you know, what it was like to actually experience mm-hmm. something go from something I didn't know what it was going to be to something else. That's cool. Um, just watching that transformation happen all the time, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and people usually pick up on that if they ask, well, you know, what, what is this all about? And just start diving into how coffee works and mm-hmm. why certain things are the way they are. Um, it's just a fun conversation we have. Well, go ahead. Dive yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I could name a few. I mean, one of the most common, um, I mean, I told you a little bit about the darker roasted coffees mm-hmm. why that is, right? That's that's a thing that people don't um, don't have explained to them too much um, for good reason, I suppose. Uh, you know, one of the favorite things that, that we get a lot of times, uh, misconceptions that we get is uh, that uh, darker roasted coffees have more caffeine. But mm-hmm. In reality, it's because you're, you're, you're just basically cooking yeah. the coffee bean. The more and more you heat it, the darker it gets. Uh, the darker it gets, the less caffeine that it has because you're removing more of the oils and the oils really have the caffeine. Um, you know, there's some other stuff that people find fascinating about decaf coffee that's a extra process on top of the process that it takes to, to get just the raw coffee to turn out. So the decaffeination process of coffee is also a second step. That's usually a favorite thing that I, I talk to people about is how decaffeination of coffee actually works mm-hmm. um, and why it you know, results in um, a different flavor for the most part. And it's also why it's a hard to roast decaf coffee, which is a sort of a story in itself. Um, there's the you know the ways that uh, roasters actually roast coffee. It's very much either a, a person who focuses on the numbers and the technical aspects, or a person mm-hmm. focuses on the sensory aspects, or you can do some spectrum in between. Mm-hmm. Um, these these things are create a different style for roasters in the same way that, that brewers have. You know, certain breweries have certain beers that they're not going to brew. Mm-hmm. Um, roasters a lot of times have something like that. I mean, the nearly a roaster, a human result, oftentimes has a different way that they approach things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've come into contact with different kind of roasters that say, like, I'm going to do it this way. And this is how I think about roasting coffee. And there's different ways to think about it different ways. Because of the way that I started, I probably do about 60% of my technique is based on sensory aspects. Okay. The sights, the sounds, the smells. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Another forty percent is the technical aspects, like temperatures, rates of change, mm-hmm. um, the physical size of the, of the beans themselves, all the stuff that goes into it. But, um, it's uh, something that um, until you have access to some of the tools in a commercial roaster, that, uh, that I do, you don't really have the ability to do it at home. Yeah. So usually, if you start off at home, you're just all sensory because that's what you have. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole lot in this uh, business that um, is fun in terms of the. Uh, the overlap in the way that the technique and stuff works with other other industries, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of overlap in the process there in terms of the way things work, some chemical reactions. Mm-hmm. There's a huge overlap with like simple stuff like cooking meat on a grill or baking something in an oven. Um, a lot of the reactions uh, are the same. A lot of the principles are the same uh, from things like you know how heat applies, how convective and conductive heat work mm-hmm. in roasters, um, even the uh, the way that um, uh, some like the weight loss is a very simple one, right? You put in one pound of beans into a roaster and you yield 
right yeah as well so um there's just a lot in common sometimes other people come here and there'll be another issue of epic or we've got some chocolate makers in here we've done some collaborations with and um just understanding how they do the process how they talk shop like mm -hmm. what it is like for them to actually make something a lot of times there's a lot of commonality between yeah, that's cool. I, I wouldn't make, I always love finding the interlap between different industries, even though it doesn't seem like they're yeah. similar on the surface. Like yeah. obviously brewing pie seems like the, the closest related, but mm -hmm. to baking and food cooking, it wouldn't be expected, but it does make a lot of sense once you stop and think about it. So, yeah. Oh yeah, that does. And just kind of being able to dive into it and kind of give people a window into the coffee world, right? Like you said, everybody drinks coffee. Yeah. And so yeah. people, you know, but it's a thing that shows up and it's in a can. It's pre-ground for the most part, mm -hmm. or it doesn't even, or you don't even see that. You just buy a cup of coffee from somewhere and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. That's as far as people go backwards from the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with that, actually, I was, now that just kind of popped in my head. Have you ever been to like a coffee farm? I have not. No. Okay. Um, that was actually one of the questions that we get a lot for opening up was, uh, are you going to go visit? Mm -hmm. uh, coffee uh, farm somewhere and, and um and it's just uh from a uh obviously even if we didn't have day jobs um getting getting those relationships established is mm -hmm. something that takes a decent amount of time you don't just show up at a coffee farm and right say, can i start buying things um so most of the time roasters like us and even medium-sized ones usually work through one or self-importers mm -hmm. and every now and again you might get an opportunity to go visit a farm mm -hmm. um something like that but of course that but requires travel to areas that are sometimes a little more inaccessible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a, these are big farms, and uh, a lot of times they're in uh, poorer parts of the world, depending on the country that you're sourcing from. There's certain ones that, are, like Brazil, is a really good example. Of, yeah, they're like forty percent of the entire production of coffee in the whole world. Wow. Um, so there's there's a very uh, logistics in, in the industry is, is uh, new infrastructure for coffee in some countries is very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch that are not. Um, so we, we actually a good example is we get um, every now and again we have access to a coffee from Yemen right now. Which, right now, of course, you know Yemen's a very war-torn country, mm -hmm. difficult to get anything into or out of, and um, just that we could get access to a United coffee was, was a huge thing. But mm -hmm. there's no universe in which we're you know, for obvious reasons, we're going to be able to visit Yemen. Yeah. Um, but then there's, you know, there's maybe a point in the future where if we everyone quit the day job and um, start doing this uh, on our own and maybe start directing for some things ourselves, mm -hmm. maybe, hey, you know, like I can talk to my importers or try to find a way to go visit farms. Yeah. Stuff myself. But even that's an expertise. Right. Being a coffee importer is one thing, being a coffee roaster is a very different thing. These are just two distinct uh, competencies, fields that mm -hmm. you can probably try to do both. If you're really big and you want to yeah, have some cost savings there, but for some of our size, it just makes sense right now. Yeah. You just kind of have to trust your importers and yeah. the connections within the industry of like, oh yeah, this is a good, good farm or collective even because it yeah. might not even be yeah. one farm at that point. Absolutely. That makes sense. I just was thinking because it'd be, it'd be a cool story to kind of be able to tie the, tie the knot back and forth and see, yeah. or at least at the very least have some sort of exposure to what a coffee farm looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the actual coffee itself looks very different than what it looks like once you even get to it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that there's some some number of people uh, somewhere parts of the world I and mean, with the amount of coffee that we have in right now, I mean, venture guests that are farmers are actually involved in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in getting the stuff here. But that um, 
if there's just some some group of people in the world that are, puts their heart and soul to, to growing coffee, mm-hmm. they have no idea what's going to happen to it. Yeah, like, they have no idea how like how it's going to turn up with some person in the Chicago land area is right. every day. Um, that's just bonkers. It just feels just crazy. Like, uh, that's that's the case. But um, yeah, I mean, go back 200 years and, and the coffee industry was not really an industry. It was just like maybe you got some stuff, but it was not not what it is today. Even the last 20 years, it's just came quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know it's like the evolution of things, right? Where the mm-hmm. slowly but surely things become more. There's like a mass marketing, and then it kind of not really collapses, but it like opens up a new slice where people can start experimenting. Yeah, yeah. It seems like in the last 50 years, we kind of had the big giant brands of the, you know, do it as cheaply as and effectively as possible. Yeah. Has kind of died or kind of just stabilized. And now yeah. people are like looking at it differently. Like that, I guess it's the new idea of like the quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, an, at least in the younger generation, seem to be, Looking at this quality aspect of things, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot more heavily. But like they're like you're saying before, they're more willing to spend a l- little bit more money on it. Yeah. Regardless, um, d- does that play into factor for you with like like organics and stuff like that? I don't know if they, can can coffee be technically organic? It can, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we get organic coffee every now and again. Um, the, the hard part with organics for someone like us is that if I want to slap a like a USDA or USDA organic sticker on something, mm-hmm. um, I'd have to have some stricter controls here in separate prep areas. Got it. That. So even though there are some coffees that are organic when I, when I get them, um, technically by other rule set, you can't guarantee it. I can't. I can't say it's organic because even if I stack a box of non-organic coffee on top of an organic coffee, it's no longer the, the coffee at the bottom is no longer organic. Got it. I can't call it that anymore. Got it. Um, so for us. Uh, we're always kind of trying to line up. Like, there, are some, there are some people that come in that are very interested in those types of things. Mm-hmm. But by and large, far more people are um, are, are just interested in trying something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not that they don't care about that stuff, but uh, they're not here because they heard about Supreme Organic Coffee. They're sure they're here because they, they want to try something else. Mm-hmm. Or they, they've, they've heard about this really great thing from a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have, I mean, it's the same same probably proportion of people who come in through notes about that. What they taste like coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are really into that. Um, and for us, we don't, I don't want it to cut the demographic too thin to be able to scare away right. people who just like drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. And just don't want to have to know about the full detail of where the coffee came from. But I can tell them about that if they want. Yeah. So it's just knowing who your audience is at exactly. the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, there's different, different layers of it, right? That's yeah. kind of the way I look at it is Absolutely. there's like, Consecutive circles of people, and some people like to go down in the nitty gritty. Yeah. Other people are just like, yeah, I'll just drink a cup of coffee as long as it tastes good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like everything else in the world, right? Some people are sports fans and they love playing fantasy football or something. Yeah. That's just really fun to brain right now. Turn on the TV. Yeah. Or just don't even pay attention to it all like myself. Because <laughs> that's what, what's what been hard about doing podcasts right now. Because normally Sundays are recording day, but yeah, now but fun. everyone wants to watch football right oh. now. I'm just like. Man, yeah, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, I get six more months. I know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to jump through some hoops to figure this out. But that's yeah. that's a whole separate. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting to think about all the layers involved with you know because even in this last we're 40 minutes right now and you've just been you've mentioned from roasting coffees like how you started and then now you're dealing with the business aspect and then you're dealing with the the, the shades of your customers on yeah. top of that yeah. um 
the one question that did come back to me was like, you're talking about administrative work. And I kind of started reviewing this to myself in some way because my day job, I'm a, a hybrid program manager where I kind of still do my own stuff, but also yeah. manage a couple people sure. or pass off things. And, um, you know, the, the word that keeps coming to mind for me is like, it's like imaginary work, right? Where you're sending emails all day or you're working yeah. in spreadsheets where you're doing stuff, but you're not really producing. Doing, yeah, you're not yeah. producing anything. Uh, and it, as the engineer in me wants to call it J work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the frequency curve and stuff like that. No, I but, yeah, well, <laughs> the other way I think about it is the cost of the business, right? Right. It's, it's overhead, but if you don't do that overhead, then the rest of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't, if I don't uh, file my uh, my my uh, state the Illinois state tax remittances at the end of the month, and eventually the Illinois Department of Revenue is going to come back and say <laughs> we're sales tax uh, mm-hmm. it's from you. Last month, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's yeah, like I was saying, it's there's a the part of the business here that's doing the fun stuff, mm-hmm. um, and then there's everything else that you need to support your ability to do the fun stuff, mm-hmm. like cleaning the roaster, making sure this place is running, they have enough supplies, yeah, um, that the credit card bills are paid on time, that mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, when someone puts in order, the box is packed and taped up properly and shipped and actually shows up in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stuff that goes into it that if you get big enough that you hire someone to do that. <laughs> hire some people to write to, to do those parts. Yeah. And then you can change what you want to do and do something different. Yeah. But we're not there yet. Right. I mean I, I just the reason I'm like double like double downing on that stuff is because like that's even though my podcast is mostly me besides recording with someone there's still a big portion of it is like invisible stuff that make you know it's all it's all invisible things that are just like in the background you know the show notes me having to re-listen to a whole hour like i have to (laughs) record it and then re-listen to it and do all that stuff and then have to do the the website side of it they create all the graphics and imaging stuff that nobody really you know it just gets taken for granted for as like as like the package right it's like you have this thing and then you have to put the thing right. Like for you, it's just the beans, but for me, it's the audio. Yeah. And then you have to figure out how you're going to, you know, wrap it in a box and present yeah. it to whoever is going to listen to it. Yeah. And it just, there's so many parallels for me as I'm you're like explaining all this stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, that does, <laughs> that sounds really similar. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. And then, you know, that that's, again, it goes back to the money part of it. It's like who it's, if you, if you can do it, you're like, you're trading money for time. Yeah, it's like, do you really love doing it, and you just put your own time into it, or do you have enough money already that you can just pay someone else Somebody to else do, do, it, yeah. do the boring stuff Once for you? Paying someone else, though, then that's not this money that you're not keeping, right? <laughs> right, and that's the that's the double edged sword of being small, right? It is. <laughs> so I, we're getting close closer to the end, and I don't want to do, take up too much of your time, and so we'll kind of transition to some more broader questions about just your experiences with stuff and like that, and so like the first one would be like any like experiences you've had with like coffee, like experimenting with something or like something that changed your mind, like mm-hmm. where you didn't have any sort of, like you had a viewpoint of something and you like experience happened and just completely just shifted your take on something. Um, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have really specific to point to. I think, um, I, I think the, the question that a lot of people ask me, that, that might might in some way answer this is you know what what uh, what's your favorite coffee or okay what you really like and, and the answer I usually give them is well I, I like all of the restaurants sell it and so people sometimes will, will you know say like oh you must never drink 
caught from here or something like that, like they expect me to be able to snob. And the thing that I kind of try to get to when I'm talking to anyone about this kind of thing is the only way that you know what's good is if you try everything. And so you develop. Mm -hmm. One of the most important parts about developing a palette and learning what you like, what you don't like, is by trying everything. Gotcha. Um, and it's, it's the same same thing in a lot of industries where with a lot of interests in that um, you can't you can't just stick to one thing, right? You gotta yeah. sometimes branch out a little bit to explore to see what's out there. Um, so to kind of roundabout answer your question, a lot of um, a lot of coffee for me as I as I got further further into it became more about just experimenting, mm-hmm. trying um, things that I would normally maybe like not even shot to. So yeah. expensive stuff, super cheap stuff, uh, everything in between. Um, never being someone that wants to like turn my nose into something because if it stinks, then I'll still drink it because it's hot and caffeinated and black. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll at least be able to develop a sense of what I think is good and what I don't think is good. And um, that's one of those things that sometimes people just come and ask that question expecting to give a very clear answer. But they're fortunate enough with that sort of like, well, it's kind of not answering the question. And um, I think I think for me, that's how, you know, how I sort of develop a little bit more of a sophistication in how I think about coffee mm-hmm. um, and how I think about it. So it's, it wasn't a change so much as just a realization that that's what I had to do. Yeah. And that's it's a really good rationalization for not being able to tell somebody which coffee is my favorite. I can mm-hmm. tell them if I was really hard pressed, I might favor this one over this one for these reasons, but then mm-hmm. there'd be other circumstances where I'd like this over that. Yeah. For other reasons. I think that's a I think that's a really good point to make because it, part of the reason even for me having this podcast is is for answers like those because in this world everyone is so you know, campy, mm-hmm. tribal. <laughs> yeah. We we like to pick A or B. And never 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 a little too Yeah. And we don't and I think by giving that answer where it's like, well, what do you like, right? You you force people to think for themselves yeah. to, to some yeah. degree because what they want is you for you to tell them yeah. what they should Usually buy. You should buy. Yeah. yeah. And and to you know, that broadly applies not just to coffee, but it's like, no, go find out, like, go listen to other people's viewpoints on whatever yeah. it is yeah. and develop your own opinion for it yeah. first. <laughs> yeah. That's what a palette is in general. And so yeah. I, I just think that's a really good answer that applies way more broadly than even oh, of course. <laughs> of course it does. To, yeah. to this. So it, it, it's a perfect answer <laughs> to me. Cool. Um, so from there we'll have, uh, you, you'd mentioned I mentioned books and stuff like that, yeah. but you you didn't really have huh. uh, a, like a favorite book or a book you've gifted. So if there's any like do you, like magazines or any other f- forms of media that you would recommend, any or even resources in coffee, if there's like a book or something or YouTube channel. Yeah, um, I mean I, the, the, one of the, the good places to to go. I mean there's a million coffee roasting videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company that manufactured my roasters, uh, a little place in Minnesota called Mill City Roasters. Mm-hmm. They, um, I remember when I was kind of looking around to see um, what kind of roaster I would end up buying. I um, pulled a bunch of their videos, and they have some really nice little uh, recordings of some of the classes that used to do. Oh, cool! Um, and they get pretty geeky, but right. I'm guessing that's probably uh, not a bad thing for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, if they're interested in coffee, they're going to go and yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, the, the coffee roasting resources, there's just a ton of places out there. A mm-hmm. lot of people, I know a few customers who do some home roasting stuff for themselves, and they sometimes uh, have some websites like Sweet Marias. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. It's some good mess and things like that. People talk about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of uh, good stuff from Reddit if you're really kind of interested too. Okay. Uh, but then you have to suffer through Reddit a little bit. That's not your thing. Um, <laughs> you know, the coffee roasting stuff for me, a lot of times just been my trial there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really uh, think too much stuff on the internet or anything. Yeah. I think it's something as simple as what the roasters doing. Just kind of think about what it was thinking about. Mm-hmm. I really wish I had more time to kind of geek on and stuff. Right. Maybe one day. Really <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's the never ending struggle of fi- balancing new information versus yeah. doing your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one, I like to close on this one, but I'll say it now because I think we've kind of been talking about bouncing around it is like advice to someone who's either in college or might be finishing college and trying to re enter the real world for the first time. Yeah. You know, and I, I think you have a really good, you know, to the ground kind of viewpoint of balancing ambition with patience. Com- yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think as, as most, uh, most people are, you know, you're a little bit more impatient and impetuous about things. You really want your life to go fast. And, yeah. Because you know, you're like, I really wish things would move so fast. And it's just this weird balance that you start to realize as you get older. I think that, um, you know, the time I was moving at a constant pace, which just feels different in a different age. And, um, you know, I think I, I look back, uh, like when I got out of college and I, I kind of fell into a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Um, in a certain sense, that was a little bit crappy, but in another sense, it was kind of, um, it's kind of nice if, if you're the type of person who's okay with not planning out certain things too far in advance mm-hmm. just to, to kind of see where things go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for the most part, I think I look back at like the time when I just got out of school and I, I thought I had all these like ambitions to do things, but um, I didn't, I don't think I really knew what I wanted okay. at, at that point. Um, but it, and everyone's different. Right? Right. So some people go to school and know exactly what they want to be. Um, and then there's a certain amount of people who, uh, like myself, maybe felt a little bit of despair. Uh, coming out of college, you know, I found a job really quick. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Just not knowing exactly is this the right thing to be doing or is this the right right way. It's, um, you know, if anyone who's already like that uh, or anything like me, it, 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 it does eat at you for a little bit. But then you get older and you realize that I shouldn't spend so much time just thinking about what I wanted to be, just enjoy where I'm at right now, which is mm-hmm. going to be to go. Um, I think we all want to have a sense of purpose, which is totally valid, right? Sometimes for people's sense of purposes, you know, volunteering or working at a, uh, working at a place to, to help, you know, certain communities and stuff like that. Um, you just gotta do, gotta do something that's right for you. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's not always easy to know what that is, but, uh, especially when you're younger, you have all the time to explore what that is. Yeah. And, um, it's just, uh, it, it's, I think the sense of meaning to, to know what you're all about at, at any age is really silly. You know, in the 50s or 60s and still yourself if you really want to mm-hmm. so i love it <laughs> it's a cool answer and i think it might be a problem with just how we raise as a society where it's like once you hit you know college age or graduate school whatever whatever higher level education you feels right for you yeah it feels like to some degree people should have their life figured out once you kind of know get out of school. Yeah, right. Very, very few people do, but anyone who says they got their life figured out is either blowing smoke up your butt. Right. Um, or like a very different kind of person, like that point one percent. Yeah. 
the world that it, knows that stuff. It's rare to come across people who are that motivated or that sure of their yeah. trajectory. It's very easy to compare yourself at that point, too, which is just the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. You gotta do what's right for you, not change yourself in somebody else's mm-hmm. uh, progress. It's kind of been one of the themes that have come up in many of the podcasts is kind of like just following the meandering path, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like yeah. the, the unique opportunities that come up in your life or the things that interest you, just say yes to them more often than you say no. Yeah. And over time that just kind of accumulates into this long track record of like, Oh wow. I've actually been able to do a lot of things that I've always, like I never dreamed I would be able to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you wind up getting there and it seems like you're kind of on in the middle of that to some degree with like, yeah, in most things in life I'm very much in the middle of. So. <laughs> I didn't mean it just, it's probably, no, no, feels, like, I take the point. Like, I feel it's probably strange for you just, just to hear your story where you're explaining it. Like, yeah, I was just making coffee in my kitchen at some point, And now, you know, we're sitting here in your little shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I want it to be a bigger shop, so right, true. But see how long that lasts. <laughs> it's always a work in progress, right? Yeah, like everything yeah. else. So, with that, I think this is a perfect point to kind of cool wrap it up. And I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's and my pleasure. If always, if anything ever comes up, there's always time for a round two because of course it's only an hour. <laughs> there's a lot more to a person than just one hour conversation. Totally. So, well, thank you very much, Eric. Thank you. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.